Thank you for listening to the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition. Please remember to subscribe, rate, like, and review. Also, don't try this at home. I'm what you call a professional, and talking sports too much can always be hazardous to your marriage. From the studios of 97.1 The Sports Animal on the 55th floor of Cityplex Towers in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition. I am your host, Eric G. from 97.1 The Sports Animal in Tulsa. Um, I'm the co-host of the Pat Jones Show. Just wanted to quickly introduce myself and tell you that you can listen every day from 11 to 2 on 97.1 in the Tulsa area or at sportsanimalradio.com, or you can download our app for your phone and listen for Pat Jones, not for me. He is the star of the show, and he is fantastic to talk to, and more importantly, fantastic to listen to. All right, coming up on this show today, in the first part, we'll be talking OU. I will tell you about an expected number for OU at the spring game, which would be absolutely amazing. It would rival A-Day numbers. Can OU get there? I'll tell you why I think they can. We'll also talk about Brent Venable's involvement and just how hands-on he's going to be with the defense and the offense. We'll talk a little bit about maybe some special teams concerns or maybe why we shouldn't be that concerned about special teams at OU this year and why we think they're going to improve. In the second half of the show, and I could have done an hour straight up on Mike Gundy's media availability yesterday out at Stillwater. He was fascinating. He touched on mental health. He touched on the offensive line problems, talked about some of the new guys. We're going to hit the highlights for you since this is only a 20-minute podcast, and you'll hear about the improvements to Boone Pickens Stadium, also what he thinks about Derek Mason, and I'll tell you why these improvements to Boone Pickens Stadium are really going to help OSU compete and maybe close to being dominant in this brand new Big 12, which is coming to a football stadium near you. Well, let's get started. Let's talk OU. Let's talk about Brent Venables. And you probably haven't had a chance to get out to practice too much, and that's why we rely on people like John Hoover, who write for Sooners SI and whom I work with, to help us out with that, or even people like Eric Bailey from the Tulsa World or Ryan Aber from the Oklahoman. And uh, digging into one of Jenny Carlson's articles, she was talking about how involved Brent Venables is going to be with the defense this year and about how he was out helping Ted Roof and he was instructing the linebackers. And he said it was going to be about a, what was it, a, a 60 35 balance, I'm sure my math, that's only 95%, a 65-35 balance between offense and defense this year as far as how much he would be involved with with both. 65, obviously, on the defensive side, 35 on the offensive side, and, of course, he'll have his nose in special teams. If you've listened to me at all, you know I've been very critical about Lincoln Riley and about how I thought he was just way too hands-off on the defense. And I almost felt like as long as the offense is good, Lincoln Riley was willing to let the defense suffer and willing to let guys like Alex Grinch and Mike Stoops take the fall for something that he really didn't care a whole heck of a lot about. And as I see this and I read this with Brent Venables, I'm not near as worried that he is going to be as hands-on with the defense as Lincoln Riley was with the offense, and here's the reason why for that. 
because if you've watched Mike Gundy's progression in Stillwater, that's how Brent Venables is going to progress. Okay, you don't like that comparison because you're an OU fan. Did you watch how Bob Stoops progressed from his time at OU to the time that he retired? Well, Brent Venables is already in his 50s, and he's been around Dabo Sweeney, and he's been around Bob Stoops, and he's been around a guy like Bill Snyder. And as a coordinator, the hardest thing it can be for, for any of these guys to do, especially when they're so used to being in control, is to give up that control and give it to somebody else. While Brent Venables may trust Ted Roof and all his other defensive assistants, he's been the guy that has been making the game plan and working things out for Saturday for a lot of years now. And when you get into that head coaching job, even though a guy like Joe Castiglione may say, I want you to get, give this up. I want you to be the CEO of the program. There are way too many things that go on in this program from a day-to-day -day operation for you to concern yourself with game, plan, game planning, practice schedule, et cetera. You're involved in that, but there are other things you got to worry about that. Well, that just doesn't happen overnight. And what we see with a lot of coaches who start off as coordinators or who were coordinators at one point and they get that HC role, it takes them a while, but eventually they start backing up because what happens is you start hiring guys that you groom, guys that you trust. And one day you eventually wake up and go, hey, I don't have to do all this. I've got a guy here as my defensive coordinator. I've got Jeff Levy as my offensive coordinator. And they want to be head coaches. So why do I need to look over them or put them under a microscope every day or try and correct them or walk into that offensive meeting and say, why are you doing it this way when you should be doing it this way? No, you learn how to trust. And eventually you back off and give them the opportunity to grow and learn while guiding. And instead of it being a 65-35 balance, it now becomes a 50-50 balance that you can split between the two while also doing the you know day-to-day -day grind of being the closer for recruiting, talking to people at the alumni groups, going out, greasing the palms who have to write the checks to keep your program afloat, all that is really important. It's just not going to happen overnight with Brent Venables. You give him an opportunity to be at this job for, let's say, another two, three years. And I think with Brent Venables, it'll happen faster, one, because of his age, and two, being around coaches who have won national championships and one that may have done, done the best coaching job in college football history in Bill Snyder, he'll learn all this. He will figure it out quicker. Where a guy like Lincoln Riley, younger, okay, thrown into the fire, much more of a control freak, an analytical guy, that guy's going to hang on a lot longer. I mean, Lincoln Riley's probably going to be calling the offense at USC for another four to five years until eventually he hands it off to someone, if he hands it off to someone. Hey, coming from that Mike Leach tree, automatically makes you just a much more hands-on type coach than coming from the Dabo Sweeney, Bob Stoops, Bill Snyder tree that Brent Venables is. So in reading that today, it was like blood pressure spike and then blood pressure calmed down because you realize eh, it's not going to be that way forever with Brent Venables. The other thing about uh, Brent Venables in, in a good positive sign here is the fact that he went out and hired a guy to run special teams specifically. Jay Nunez, 
who is actually from Alva, Oklahoma, which is up in the northwest part of the state, just in case you have no idea where it is. Of course, if you're listening from Oklahoma, you're going, yeah, dude, I knew that. Why the hell are you repeating that? Anyway, uh, this guy from the northwestern part of Oklahoma was the special teams coordinator um, out at Eastern Michigan. He's a quality control coach here at OU. So he's running special teams, but when it comes to Saturday, he can't be on the field. So now you're leaving it up to a guy like uh, Ted Roof is involved. Some of the other coaches are involved as well. But this is kind of the, this is the dilemma that a lot of college coaches find themselves in today. And it's one of these things that my co-host and I, we get into these fascinating discussions about this whole situation is when you've got staff limitations, okay, you know special teams is important. You do not want it to go by the wayside. You need it to be good because you can win games on special teams. There's a reason we call it three phases of the game. The problem is, is that if you're going to have one person run your special teams, then you've got to decide to where you're going to cut. And is it going to be a situation where you just hire a defensive backs coach and say, okay, you're coaching safeties and corners? Are you hiring a defensive line coach saying you're also going to work with ends as well? On the offensive side, we saw OU at one point, you had inside receivers, outside receivers coach. Well, now Kale Gundy is handling all receivers. He's more in control of that. Still, with every other position that you're hiring, and while you've got all these analysts from the on-the-field standpoint, you still don't have that one guy doing special teams. And from Le- and from Lincoln Riley's standpoint, he was adamant. I mean, remember this, Lincoln Riley, very adamant about the fact that, oh, you did not need a special teams coach. He would do it or he would split it or whatever. That's not the way Brent Venables feels. And I guarantee you, if he could have that one guy, he would do it. A lot of other coaches would. They just can't because of budget. Well, not even so much budget restrictions. It's just the NCAA rule. You can have this many coaches. And where this will change, and talk to Rick Dixon, AD um, at Tulsa today about this. As the NCAA starts to back off, as the NCAA is no longer the governing body and conferences control what they can do as, as, or as conferences start making the rules for how many scholarships, for um, how many coaches you can have. As that happens, then you're going to see OU and more schools go with this idea of having somebody specifically for special teams. Until then, you kind of bite the bullet. But for OU, I think it's much more of a priority now than it ever was under Lincoln Riley because we're going to get the we're going to get to see Billy Bowman get the opportunity to play a part in this and. Depending on how you feel about football, and and and, so, and this is act, this is really an age thing. Depending on when you grew up or who you've listened to talk about football, do you believe in getting the best eleven on the field and allowing them to decide the game, or are you that type that's going to operate under caution, the way so many other coaches, the way so many other coaches do? Where Lincoln Riley risk wasn't worth the reward; it was more like Billy Bean. You know, I remember Billy Bean, GM of the Oakland A's. Go read the book Moneyball. Don't watch the movie. The movie's lame. Uh, but the book explains everything. Risk not worth the reward when it comes to stealing. Okay? It's how Lincoln Riley looked at special teams. Not Risk not worth the reward getting guys to hurt. Well, hey, or getting guys hurt. Hey, that's part of football. Guys are going to get hurt. Get your best 11 on the field. Get a guy out there that has the opportunity to go make a difference for you 
every single game and allow him to do that. When you do that, not only will your team be better and you'll, you'll put a lot more W's up, but I think that most guys want to contribute as much as they can, and it's only when they get older, only when they become professional, where it's like, yeah, it's not worth the risk because I, you know, I don't want to hurt the money. Now it's, all right, yeah, whatever. I'll get out there and prove that I can play special teams. Uh, finally, in our OU segment, uh, listening to John Hoover, uh, who's on before us on 97.1 The Sports Animal, he's predicting 70,000 to show up for the OU spring game here in about mid-April, which we did learn the Baker Mayfield statue will be unveiled at halftime because the powers that be at OU don't want you hanging around Jenkins. They don't want you crowding it up. Gar- they, they don't want you causing congestion at Jenkins. So for them, it's a big halftime production. Fine. I, I love the fact that, that at OU that you are seeing the spring game become as big a production as it is and has been in the SEC for a long time. I mean, hey, you're moving to that conference. You might as well start assimilating now as opposed to waiting till you get down there. But 70,000, man, those are A-Day type numbers. Okay, I was looking at, you know, Alabama um, at A-Day back in 2017 had 74,000 show up for the spring game. OU in 2018-2019 got 50 and 52 and change respectively. If OU could actually put 70,000 in the seats, it would tell you, one, there's a tremendous amount of enthusiasm and probably a lot less questioning from OU fans. They just want to see what these guys can do. And heck, I guess the questions are still going to be there because everybody's, you know, everybody wants to see what a guy like Dylan Gabriel can do at quarterback. But more importantly on this, again, it's just about getting there, showing that you can keep up with the Joneses where you are going. 70,000 would be tremendous. I have a hard time seeing it. I think it'll hover around 50. Also, if you're not from here, or you haven't been around, sometimes it depends on the weather. There are other things that happen to be going on during the spring. But I also go back to my college days when it wasn't that big of an event. Well, now it's a huge event. Uh, no country stars this year. All right, no country stars this year coming into play, but I'm sure it'll be wildly entertaining. And of all the events I'm looking forward to going to in the spring, OU uh, spring game is right at the top of my list. You're listening to the Heartland College Sports Podcast, Bedlam Edition. I am Eric G. Coming up next, Mike Gundy on the changes coming to the Booner. Thank you for listening to the Heartland College Sports Podcast, Bedlam Edition. All right. Um, I always say we've got 20 minutes. We end up going over. I get on a roll. And now we're talking about uh, Mike Gundy. And, whoa, he was tremendous yesterday. And one of the big things that he was asked about is the $41 million renovation that's going to be going on at Boone Pickens Stadium. Now, one of the big deals about this, okay, and I'll get to the stuff that concerns you here in a second, but for the players, for the coaches, there's been a lot of complaining about the turf on that field. The, the previous administration skimped on it, okay, and I've got, <laughs> got some good information on this that folks in the football department weren't really happy with the quality of the turf. They've wanted that change for a while. They're finally getting that talking to uh, one of my coworkers today about Mike Gundy, and there's there's just a different Mike Gundy. What is so different about him? Well, well the big difference for Mike Gundy is Casey Shrum and Chad Weiberg. Mike Gundy doesn't have to lock horns with anybody about how football should be the top priority at Oklahoma State anymore. 
That's the difference you're seeing in Mike Gundy. That's why he's a lot looser. That's why he's a lot happier. He's always been a hell of a coach. I I don't know why people are just figuring that out now. Mike Gundy is one of the best coaches in America and has done more with less than a lot of other guys around the country. But I guess when you realize that, hey, he can coach to his talent and doesn't just believe in his system last year, it starts waking people up. Back to this idea that this, this... $41 million renovation that's going on. Not only do you get a brand new playing service, they're also going to do um, some renovations in the stands so you have a little bit more room to move. And before we get to Mike, well, actually, you know what? I'll give you my opinion on this, why this is so important coming up here in just a second. But let's hear from Mike Gundy on why he's so excited about the changes coming to Boom Pick. I only know about what would be the cosmetic side of it. Uh, That's more of uh, Chad and... Um, Kyle Waters, they've gone through all the developments and changes to our facilities and stadium. The cosmetic side of some of the out, outside exterior and the field I'm involved in, we haven't got to that point yet. But I know they've had a lot of meetings. I know they're doing a lot of different things. I just really don't know what all it is. Yeah, but how important is that to keep, when you have nice facilities, keep them comfortable? Well, yeah, and, and, and there's, some, there's some structure issues that they're, they're updating in there, and then we're in an arms race for facilities, right? We have great facilities that work really good, but it's not enough because everybody else is building something new, so we have to build new things. That's the direction we're going this time. All right, Kyle Waters, the guy that you heard him mention, if you don't know who Kyle Waters is, um, he's actually the guy who's in charge of the facilities at Oklahoma State. He's senior athletic director. He's in charge of the facilities. So anytime you go to Gallagher, Iba, anytime you go to uh, the brand-new stadium, I keep wanting to call it Alley P. Reynolds. I know it's not. And I'll always call it Ali P, even though it's not Ali P. Reynolds, because Ali P. Reynolds played for the Yankees, and I'm a big Yankee fan. Um, he's the guy that, that's in charge of all that. The reason these updates are so important to Oklahoma State, even with the Big 12, shrink, well, it's not shrinking, and actually may expand to as many as 14 teams, but the Big 12 becoming closer and closer into competition, what these improvements do for Mike Gunning from a recruiting aspect, especially, let's say you go down to the DFW area, you got a kid who's lucky enough to be recruited by all the SEC schools that are there. Baylor's in on him. TCU's in on him because everyone's got to be in on him. He's that five-star kid. He's that four-star kid that you just have to have. Well, if he's looking at Oklahoma State, let's say he's even considering Baylor or TCU, and you know that for the most part, money-wise, because you're making, you're both making about $40 million, even though they've got smaller alumni base than you, if you know you're close or tech, you know you're close in about stadium size. You know you're close in about facilities and what they are. Or you know you're close in about competition. What are you doing that's going to separate you to get those kids? And with Casey Shrum and Chad Weiberg and Mike Gundy at the helm, that's a pretty powerful three-headed monster who, one, as we've always said, football's the top priority, but they're not going to blink when it comes to putting money back into football. So it's huge for Mike Gundy. Uh, the other thing he was asked about was seating capacity. No, I think they did. They made a great decision in keeping our capacity at 60 or 58, whatever it is. Uh, I don't know who looked into the future, but you know, one of the issues that we may all have to deal with is live streaming, right? It's too easy to watch a game. You can watch a game on your phone. You can stay home. Uh, you can tailgate. You can put a 80-inch big screen in your tent. You get free food. You get free drinks. You don't have to go in the stadium. So eventually. I think that we're all going to have to combat fewer people going to games. So 
if we can fill this place up and sell out these suites, financially it'll keep our athletic department very stable, and it looks good on Saturdays. Like seating capacity right now at what I still lovingly call Lewis Field is about 55,000. Okay, if that, let's say that shrinks to 54, that shrinks to 53. Here's what I would say. OSU hasn't sold out consistently enough that the sh- that, that the shrinkage of the capacity should matter all that much. When they consistently sell out, and if you get on the on a run, whether it's now or in this new Big 12 where you're playing in championship games or you're winning championships consistently, well, then you can expand more. Then you can worry about going back. And trust me, you've got the powers that be that will definitely talk about this. While the revenue may not be there from a television standpoint that it once was, you win a lot, you put conference championships, you can go knock on people's door and they'll be more than glad to write you a check. So wouldn't be too worried up that or too upset about that. Uh, the other thing that Mike Gunny mentioned, and yeah, man, I, I, part of me hates saying this because uh, I'm not a luxury box guy. You know, I'm either in the press box or I'm down in the stands. And I do think that for not just the people in the luxury boxes, but people in the stands, you've got to give them an experience that they can't get anywhere else. All too often for some of us, it's just so much easier to watch on television, not fight the traffic, drink your own beer out of the fridge, not have to wait in line lines uh, for bathroom or anything else. So you've got to enhance that experience. Oklahoma State's going to do that. I just, just talking to people around Stillwater, there's – an enthusiasm enthusiasm throughout the athletic department that hasn't been there in quite some time. And it's all because you finally have three people at the helm that realize what the number one priority should be. Finally, from Mike Gundy, here he is talking about new D.C. Derrick Mason. I, I like his enthusiasm. I mean, you can see him right now, and he's very vocal, and uh, I think the players migrate toward him. They like him. I was hoping that his experience as a head coach and as a longtime coordinator would work in our advantage. I think that's happening. Do I know for sure? No. It's been three days, but but I like his encouraging coaching style. Yeah, if I'm Derek Mason, I don't know how I feel about that comment. Because on one hand, it's like, thanks for not overselling me and putting me in a bad position. But on the other hand, it's like, hey, thanks for underselling me. No, I think Mike Gundy's cautiously optimistic what that is. He didn't say anything bad about Derek Mason. He's just cautiously optimistic about what he has. I also think that there was a built-in trust with Jim Knowles that has to be built up there with Derek Mason. He's got to see how he does things. Mike Gundy being the CEO of that program, again, is not going to put a microscope on anyone, but when you've got to change, and you are looking at a year where you should or at least are going to have the opportunity to get back to the Big 12 championship, you don't necessarily want to rein Derek Mason in from anything that he's doing or overly correct him, but you're certainly going to keep an eye on him and hope that he's doing everything that you ask him to do. And eventually Mike Gundy will back off of it, but right now things are so good at Oklahoma State, you don't want to mess with success. That wraps up this edition of the Bedlam, or excuse me, the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition. I'm Eric G. We will be back with you next week. May God bless you and your family. As the great Jackie Moon always says, everybody love everybody. And to quote the great Tom Petty, because he's just as great as Jackie Moon, if not greater. The waiting is the hardest part.